Okay, you guys ready? Let's, uh, let's stand. I just want to let you guys know I appreciate you. Um, you know, as we go on in life and in the Lord, there's so many things that hit you throughout the week that are specifically designed to devalue you so that you'll agree with that. When the enemy devalues you in your own mind, your ability to worship is completely removed. Because in your prayer life, if you even have one at that point, it becomes all about how unvaluable you are. And most of the time, when people feel unvaluable, they don't even pray at all. And so I want you to understand that what Jesus did, we're coming into the season of, of Christmas, and, and um, it's not going to be my, my topic today, but I just want you to understand that the fact that he came, I mean, there's a lot of things that, yes, we do, and that there's a lot of things that we, we, we involve ourselves with that Jesus, you know, he doesn't really care for. But the fact that he came means that you were valuable enough for him to bankrupt heaven to come to this earth and give you something you needed and to restore you back to the original place that God has for you. And so just I wanted to remind you of that because when we come into worship, many times our worship is affected by how we've lived our week. Not because uh, how we live our, our week affects our worship, but because how we live our week affects our mindset, which affects our worship. Does that make sense to you? And so Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. That doesn't mean just before you're saved. It means anytime you're weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. Because that's his heart. And there's so many things <clears throat> we're trying to carry that we're never, supposed to be, we're never supposed to carry. And when we carry them in our hands... We're not free to lift them in worship. That's why in Hebrews 12, 1, it says, <clears throat> because of all the things that I've just said to you, you need to lay aside every weight, everything that you're carrying that you were never meant to carry, and you need to run. Run the race that you were called to run. But I think we miss the point of what he's trying to say there, the author of Hebrews, because when he says run, <clears throat> people don't run in vain. You run because there's a goal. There's a destination. There's someone at the finish line. And the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 just got done telling us of everybody who's at your finish line. Abraham, Moses, David. And all those people have crossed their line and they finished their race. And they're there cheering you on saying, come on, you can do it. And so when we run, we don't run just because we're supposed to do something. It's because we have somewhere to be. And more than anything, there's, some, there's one man at the end of your race who's waiting for you. His name is Jesus. And it's interesting to me that he's not only running with you, but he's also waiting at the end for you. Because he's the author, and he's the finisher. And he's everything in between. So not only will he be with you now, but he's gonna, he can't wait to be with you forever then. So when we lay aside these things, we're laying them aside because it affects our ability to be with him. Not because we're so horrible because we were carrying them, 
because it takes our focus off why we're going towards where we're going in the first place. So why do I say all this? I want you to experience God this morning in worship without the distractions of your week, without the failure context that you've had over your life or mine. Some people have walked into this place feeling pretty low about how they lived their week this week or maybe how their thought process happened or what's happening. If you let all that happen, you're worshiping your problem. See, God's here to move on your behalf. doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. He says that he's faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you believe. So just stretch your hands just for a minute and say, Father, I surrender my week. The one I had. The one that's coming. And I just come to you right now. Because you said if I would come to you that you would take my burden and I lay it at your feet so that I can run this race and I can be where you are. That I'm no longer separated because the blood of Jesus has made me, brought me close again. That my righteousness isn't dependent upon how I live or how I think. It's dependent upon that great blood and that power of that resurrection, that gospel of Jesus that was preached to me that I believed upon. That there's no separation in my heart, in my life anymore. That I am brought near to the King of Heaven. That I am seated in heavenly places with Christ. And Father, I thank you for that. And I just lay the sin and the failure and the shortcomings on the altar of Jesus. And I lay aside the weights that the enemies tried to throw on my peace and upon my heart. And I come to you asking for you to reignite my passion and my love for you. Father, I ask in Jesus' name for every hindrance in these people's lives to be removed. And that they would be linked and yoked with you. And that, Father, as you begin to pull the plow through life and you begin to uh, break up hard hearts and, and situations that are impossible, that you would do it in such a way, God, that it would be easy and light for them, that you would bear the burden of everything that they're going through in their life right now. And that all they would have to do is learn to be with you, to be next to you, and to let everything that's happening in their life just be pulled by the weight of God and the glory of Jesus Christ. That we have an open invitation to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we worship you now, Father, and we thank you. We put our hearts towards you, and we take our attention towards you. And we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. As we were singing, I just heard the Lord say that if 
if you seek me, you'll find me. If you knock, the door will be open. And I saw this person walk up to this door. And in the moment they laid their first fist on the door to knock, Jesus opened it. And there was this smile on his face. And he said, how I've been waiting for this moment. And it's not something we have to do for a long period of time to get his attention. He's, he's anticipating our coming. He's there waiting for us to knock on that door. The moment you knock on that door, he's going to open to you. There's, there's some people in here that in your relationship with the Lord and other things, you're feeling like there's, a, there's something that's holding you back between you and him. And it's not anything that he's waiting to do. You're waiting for him to do for you. It's He's waiting for you to just knock on that door. And the moment you do, everything's going to change. The moment you set some time aside and say, God, I'm here, I want to, I want to know you. I promise you he'll be instantly right there. He's going to open that door immediately. You won't have to beg and plead and wait and knock all night. The moment you, the moment you touch the handle on that door, he's going to open it. And he will be there for you and you'll be there for him. And you'll find your purpose and you'll find the reason why you're alive in that moment. You'll find that everything that's been holding you back in your way has been moved out of the way just because you received the invitation you've already been given. You're not waiting for a new invitation. You have everything you need. You have one right in your hand. You just got to take it to the door of Jesus and knock on that door and he'll open it. So Father, I pray in Jesus' name that Lord, that you would stir our hearts. Remind us of the invitation that you've given us to that great wedding supper to be that bridegroom that you spoke of through your servant, Lord, that we would not make excuses for coming to your table, that we wouldn't allow distractions to take our purpose away from us and seat us at a different table, but that, Father, that we would come, we would knock, and the doors would be open that you would move in the hearts of your people here and you would draw them closer to who you are. They would know you in spirit and truth and worship you in the same. We praise you and we worship you and we thank you for your grace. Open our hearts, open our minds. We are weak and you are strong, you are able. The Lord doesn't build a house, they that labor, labor in vain. So, Father, we thank you for the foundation that you've laid through your son, Jesus Christ, the king of peace, the king of righteousness. Build your people here. Even this morning as they hear, I pray that their minds would bend to the word of God and their opinions would adjust and their lives would take order according to your word of truth. We thank you for the, for the invitation and the drawing of your presence. Let us not just stand in the invitation only, but let us walk through the door. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, those of you who are wanting to send your children back, you can at this time. Um, I have some things on my heart I want to share, but again, before I do, I want to remind you guys again, no service tonight. We have quite a few of our worship team that's out, and and uh, I don't want to over overburden them. Um, pray that God sends more people to help and people who are drawn here who are to be with us. 
we have needs everywhere. But I would rather not have the need filled than to put the wrong person where the need is. <laughs> That's how you break things in people. So pray that God sends us the people that we need. If you haven't, if you've been coming here for a while and, and um, you're still testing us out, that's, that's totally fine. I'm, I'm, we're okay with being tested for however long you want to test us. But at some point, God will either move you out to where you're supposed to be or he's going to tell you that this is the place where you're supposed to be. And if that's the case, at some point, you probably need to come talk to us about what that entails and what we do here. Um, but you're welcome to visit as long as you want without pressure. You can just come and go as you wish. But those who want to um, join with us in working for the gospel and being a part of the body, um, we, uh, we welcome that. But we also uh, want you to hear that for sure. Church is not a place to uh, attend. It's a place to serve one another and Jesus. If you uh, have an attendance culture, then you're going to choose the church that gives you the best show. And maybe that's not us. <laughs> uh, I'm not here for your entertainment. Okay? Everybody good? Uh, yeah. Let me, uh, let me gather myself here and uh, see where we're at. All right, um, I, want, I want you to, we're going to talk about a couple things this morning. Before I do, I'm going to lighten things up a little bit before it gets heavy. How's that sound? Okay, um, so this is the, the marriage guide, and then uh, those of you who are married, you'll, you'll, I'm sure, give a chuckle as your amen. Um, so this, this goes in order of dangerous, safer, and safest, all right, so dangerous, what's for dinner? Safer, how can I help you with dinner? Safest, where would you like to go for dinner? <laughs> Next one, dangerous, what are you so worked up about? Safer, could we be overreacting? Safest, here's my paycheck. <laughs> dangerous, should you be eating that? Oh yeah, that's, that's bad. Safer, you know, there's a lot of apples left. Safest, can I get you a piece of chocolate to go with that? <laughs> Dangerous, what did you do all day? Safer, I hope you didn't overdo it today. Safest, I've always loved you in that robe. <laughs> all right. I want to speak to you this morning about a couple things that are on my heart that are really important. In fact, they're vital. We, um, oh, we get lost in our Christianness, and uh, we forget why we're doing what we're doing. And basically, uh, at some point throughout your week, most of us get to a point where we're just trying to maintain our morality and we forget why. We're trying to be good people. We're trying to make it through the week. We're trying to do right. And 
in that we lose many things that are vital for our, not only survival, but our thriving culture that God calls us to create. And so if Christianity becomes about a set of do's and don'ts and successes that we have to make up until Sunday, then we miss the point of why we're here. And that's very dangerous because then we begin serving something that's not, that we were not created to serve. So when Jesus, um, when God first created us in, in Genesis, there was something that he did before he did anything else. Peace predates humanity. If peace doesn't predate humanity, then humanity lives in chaos. But the essence of what it means to be a person of the world basically is trying to make sense of your own chaos. Right? Until you find your little subculture, that, which basically is nothing more than you finding people who think and believe like you and have been hurt like you and then think because you've found those people that you've justified your, <laughs> your perception of life. When it's done nothing more than just create your own little self-help culture and you cry on each other's shoulders and agree with each other's bitternesses and change absolutely nothing. When God created the world, there was chaos. I don't understand how the chaos got there. There's theories. Not my point. He looked down and there was chaos, and so he sent his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to hover over the water, and he brought rest. The earth was chaotic. It was void. It was without purpose. It was destroyed it was something something brought massive chaos to, to the earth and there's theories doesn't really matter my point being is that God began to intervene by bringing one thing first peace without peace it's impossible to create anything because the creation will be overtaken by the chaos you can't create without peace you can't build without peace nothing in your life can be built without a rest in your life. Because if, it, if you start to build without rest, the enemies just tear down what you build. And when the people of God have unrest in their minds, then everything in their life becomes chaotic and destructive, and they wonder why things aren't built inside of them. Because they're trying to build without peace. Knowledge doesn't bring peace. Theology doesn't bring peace. Peace is a person. He's either present or he's not. And I don't mean in the Emmanuel sense of him saying, I'll always be with you. I mean in the sense that we are with him. Does this make sense? So everything in our life has to revolve around peace. When God created the world, he created the world in a, as a, an atmosphere of rest. And then he put man in it. And he says, you keep and hold what I gave you. And you advance it. Multiply it. Right? So Adam's job was to multiply what God had created, what God had done, in multiplicity, and to, to take that into the earth and establish it in rest. To subdue the earth. In other words, peace has to be laid through conflict. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is usually occurs within conflict. As the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, there was a war that was happening between chaos and rest. And peace brought 
chaos, uh, the Holy Spirit brought rest to the chaos. The peace warred with the chaos, and the chaos submitted. And then when the chaos submitted, there was subjugation. When there was subjugation, the kingdom could be built. You with me? You understand? I'm hearing myself in two places. So Adam lost his peace, and then he lost his ability to connect with the kingdom of God. Why? Because the kingdom of God is based upon peace and rest. So I'm, forgive me. I'm teaching here. I'm going in teaching mode. So help me. Why am I teaching you? Because I need you to understand this. Because if you lose this, you lose your purpose and your kingdom identity. We were never supposed to understand what chaos was. We were always supposed to subjugate the chaos and plant rest. That was the goal for God. We were never supposed to be the ones having to fight for our own peace. We were only supposed to propagate it. But when we lost it, there started a war. The one thing wasn't that the devil was after. He wasn't after Adam's identity per se, though he attacked it. The main thing he was after was his authority and his peace. Because if he took his authority, then the enemy, uh, Adam no longer has the ability to, to, to do the thing that God called him to do. He no longer has the ability to establish what God called Adam to establish. And so if Adam lost his, his peace, then he has no ability to propagate it. Does this make sense? Okay, I'm going to try to make all this fit for you because I have a lot here and there's probably no way I'm going to get through it all. But I, I, if we don't propagate peace in others... The kingdom of God is never established. And if peace hasn't been propagated in us, then we're never going to propagate it in someone else. See, the gifts only operate under the headship of Jesus when they're operating in a kingdom of peace. The, the gifts can operate, but they'll never operate in, in, in the true intention of what God has called them to operate in because they're not reestablishing the rest. They're adding burdens to chaos and commanding the people to come up under the burden and lift it when they can't even do that because chaos is present. In other words, what I'm saying is, is when you operate in your gift without peace, all you're doing is giving people more rules to follow. Does it make sense? All gifts, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, the teacher, all of them, they, all they can do is add more burden on you if they're not operating under the peace and the rest of God. Because at some point what they see is, is what you're not doing, what you should be doing, and then they try to bridge the gap with, with doing instead of establishing the peace. When the peace is established, then the person can begin to, to, to grow and build. You with me? Let me ask you guys this. Those of you who have been born again, the moment you met Jesus Christ, what was the first thing you felt in your life? Why? Because nothing can be built unless peace is established. Peace is the foundation of the kingdom of God. Without it, there is no kingdom establishment. Period. If we operate in sin and unrest as children of peace... We're using our authority to propagate peace to propagate chaos. And usually we do that in our own heads, which causes us to get, you know, the Monday through Saturday problem, and then we need Sunday to turn it all around for us again. Because we've used our authority to propagate, to propagate chaos. 
Why? Because we are multiplying chaos in our head and our actions and our lives and our belief systems. And then when it comes time to actually bring peace to someone else, we have nothing to give because we need it ourselves. You with me? So Jesus wants his kingdom planted and established. But Jesus doesn't want his kingdom planted and established any other way than how he plants and establishes it. And if we do it out of his order, then we're not going to build it at all. Even though we may build a ministry, it won't be his kingdom. Just because you plant a church does not mean it has the foundation of rest in the body. Just because you can have a gift and collect people doesn't mean you're establishing peace in their life so that the house of God can be built. Are you with me so far? Okay. Adam lost his peace. His justification was a desperate attempt to recapture it. It's not my fault. It's her fault. Don't take from me what's mine. Take it from her. And she's like, don't take it from me. Take it from the snake. He's like, all three of you lost it. You with me? Have you ever, have you ever, I've seen people operate in their gifts outside of peace, and it creates chaos. It's like telling the truth without Without mercy and grace. All you do is tear things apart. Right? Make sense? All right, so let's, this, is, this is, I guess this would be my small slice of a Christmas sermon, and that's all you're going to get because I don't usually do those. I, I joke because one year on Mother's Day I talked about fathers. Not that they're more important. I just felt like that was what God was telling me at the time. I don't think God really bows to our calendar. He has his own. Uh, Luke 2.13. This is um, Luke 2.13. I said it twice. There, Where's Jacob? Is he here? There. Oh, you're not even back there. All right. I'll wait till you're back there and I'll say it twice. Okay. All right. So Adam lost his rest and his peace. And then Jesus comes to the earth, and the first thing that the prophetic order of the angelic hosts began to sing over creation was what? Was what? Go to verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. You know, it's, 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 we, we, I mean, love is absolutely important. It's vital. You with me? But the angels didn't come and say there's love on earth now. Why? Because peace has to be established before love can be established. It absolutely has to be. God cannot be real and present until there's a, a, a condition or a, an atmosphere created for that love. Love is so powerful that it has to have a foundation to lay upon. It's so heavy and so weighty and so important that love cannot be placed on anything other than peace and rest. Because if love is placed on chaos and turmoil, then it's misappropriated and misunderstood. That's why you can't say I love you in a mean tone and expect people to believe it. You with me? You know, it's like two kids fighting. Tell you you love them. I love you. Well, that really convinced me. Yeah. Right? Because peace brings about uh, the tranquility needed to support the love that's, that's desperately wanted to come forth. You with me? Yeah. So in other words, I'll say it this way. 
If your peace is out of order, your attachment or ability to understand the love of God is non-existent. If your peace is affected, so is your love. Not only for God, but for yourself and for others. And we see that, don't we, in our daily life. When our peace is affected, we don't love people very well. Why? Because love has to have the foundation of rest. And so when Adam lost it, Jesus came back to what? To bring it. You with me? In Zechariah, he, prom- he prophesies in, one, in Luke 1, uh, verse 78. Uh, this is John the Baptist's father, and he begins to prophesy after he gets his voice back. And he says, because of the tender mercies of our God, it's Luke 1, 78. There you go. Um, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness into the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. This is what, this is what Zechariah prom- prophesies. That something's going to rise up and guide our feet, which is interesting in the New Testament, our feet represent peace. To guide our feet in the way of peace. God expects us to walk in peace. Why? Because he reestablished the rest. Why does God want us to walk in peace? Because he wants us to walk in love. We can't walk in love until we walk in peace. You can't love somebody horizontally if you have a break in peace with them. You can tolerate them. You can smile. You can put on your mask. You can be civil like we're about to all have to do over the holidays. It's funny. I think the holidays are just hilarious. Yeah. Those people aren't there for you 364 days a year. You miss that one day and you don't love me. So funny how that works. Then the church is like, you know, oh, we're all family in the blood of Jesus. But then when it comes down to holidays, it's like, I'll bail on you guys because my blood needs me. And it got quieter. Okay. Laughing stopped. I'll move on. See, peace is essential for kingdom establishment. Absolutely essential. It's the element of heaven given to overthrow the rebellion of the realms. Those who war in the gospel war in peace. Peace is a kingdom issue. It's a kingdom tangible essence. When peace comes from heaven to earth, peace wars with the things in the earth in order to bring the rest needed for God to be established. Are you understanding this? So when Jesus came, it wasn't just, oh, it's so nice and awesome that peace is on earth. How come peace didn't get established right then? Because when peace is introduced, war begins. So Jesus' entire life, his 30 years of preparation, were a warfare-type lifestyle to be able to establish the rest. Why? Not for his own sake, but for us. See, when we establish peace, it's not because we need to feel good about our day and be alleviated from our anxiety. The establishment of rest has everything to do with other people knowing the love of God. If peace is for you, then you don't understand the kingdom because the kingdom is not selfish. Does this make sense to you? 
Peace is for the establishment of the kingdom of God so that the love of God can be shown forth in the world. And isn't that what happened with Jesus? He established the kingdom of God and the love of God became relevant to all the world. Does it make sense? So peace is an inward sign of an established kingdom. When you see somebody walking in rest, you know that they're walking in kingdom establishment. Things aren't blowing them around. Remember Jesus in the boat? What did he say? He didn't say, love, be still. He didn't speak love over the storm, did he? What did he speak? Why did he speak peace? Because he had the authority to do so as a son. You see, there's only one type of person that can release peace. That's the Son of God. No other being, no other entity can release it. The angel here says peace on earth, but the angel wasn't releasing the peace. The angel was declaring peace was there because the Son was there. When a Son shows up, peace begins to be present. But when peace is present, war begins to happen. Why? Because whenever the enemy sees that his territory has been taken over and rest has been established, he greatly fears that because after it's established, he knows something's going to be built there that he is going to have to fight against. It's going to overthrow his kingdom. So what does that mean for you and me? When you and I come into difficult situations in our life and our families and our circumstances, if we as sons of God begin to plant the peace of God in the midst of that circumstance, something's going to be built and inhabit that place, which threatens the entire system of what's going on around us. The reason why the enemy wants to steal your peace is because if he steals your peace, he steals all ability for the kingdom of God to be manifest in your situation. And so he tricks you by the turmoil and the attack and the fight and the circumstance and the family member and something chewing on your head to be able to get you to walk away from your God-given right to establish his order in that realm. And if you give in to that thing, then God has no place to exist in that circumstance. Why? Because it takes peace to support love. It takes peace to support the foundation of the kingdom. You with me? Biblically, I can prove to you that the foundation of the kingdom of God, even in heaven, is, is peace. It was the foundation of this earth. It's also the name by which God named his own city. Jerusalem, the city of peace. Why? Because it takes peace to be able to establish a king. Kings rule in peace. Why? Because they've subjugated everything else around them. You with me? How vital is your peace? I'm going to get ahead of myself, but just so you can understand the context of the sermon. In Revelation, it talks about one of the four horses that come out uh, in, the, in, the, in the seals that, that God releases. One of them is his power was to take peace from the earth. Why? Because if you can take peace from the earth, you can take God's kingdom, establish it from the earth, and you take God himself from the earth. Because God is always shown through his people and his sons. I believe personally that that, that fourth that horseman that comes and takes peace from the earth, he does it by taking out the sons of God. Because you can't take peace from the earth if sons are present. Why? Because the sons of God are peacemakers. 
If you take peace from the earth and they're still present, they just reestablish rest. That's what they do. They're not moved by your circumstance and your opinion and your uh, uh, little differences. And they're not moved by those things. That's one reason why people think I'm intimidating sometimes is because I'm not moved by their, their chaos. It's like, look, I don't care what's happening. If it kills us all, then we're finally free. And that's the worst thing that could happen. So don't tell me and cry to me about everything else. Until then, we just stand and believe. Well, it didn't turn out our way. God never said it would. You built that thing and made him bow to it. And when he didn't, you got offended at God. You with me? Okay. So it's not the absence of conflict. More often than not, it's the presence of a war within a heart that is still before the Lord. In fact, most of the time when you have the, the truest sense of peace, you're in the greatest turmoil of your life. If you haven't experienced that, you will. You with me? All right. So those that work the gospel and go into ministry and try to create all this stuff and the outreach, if they're, if they're at unrest themselves, all they're doing is propagating a broken gospel. It's no longer good news. Because, see, if you don't establish rest in that person, it doesn't matter how much you've ministered to them. It doesn't matter if you've fed the poor. It doesn't matter all those things. Those things are valuable only if they result in peace. Because if you feed people, they still die. If you heal people, they still die. If you visit them in prison, they still die. The point is, all those things are supposed to give you access and avenues to be able to do one thing in their life, and that's bring rest. But if you haven't got it in your own self, in your own marriage, in your own life, then you've got to start there. It's amazing how many people want to start ministries, but their homes are absolutely wrecked. It's the first thing they want to do as soon as they get touched by Jesus. Well, I'm supposed to start a ministry. Why don't you start with your wife? Or your husband? Well, he won't listen. Maybe you need to adjust your gospel. Maybe you need to start preaching good news instead of being on his case all the time. See, it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. It's not the fact that you're telling them what's already wrong. They already know what's wrong. You with me? So when our peace is disturbed, we no longer have the proper perspective to build what we're required to build. We, we lose sight of the, of the command and the commission of Jesus Christ, his mission, when we lose sight of everything he died to give us, which was peace. I'm getting ahead of myself again, but in John 20, whenever he comes up from the grave and he walks through those walls and he's meeting with all them boys and they're afraid, the first thing he says when he comes out of the air, first thing he says to them, first thing, as a victorious king, the first thing. I mean, you would think that the first thing out of the, mouth, the man's mouth after he completely spent three days in hell whipping every demon that's ever whipped us would be like love or something like that because that's theologically, you know, that's good theology. But he comes out and he says what? He says peace. In other words, what he did, I went back and killed everything that gave you unrest. So now I'm reestablishing your peace as, I sent, as my father sent me, so I send you. That's what he says. Peace. As my father sent me, so I send you. What, what did his father send him to do? To establish peace. So what is he, when he says, so I send you, what is your job? To establish peace. But if you haven't established peace in your own life... It's amazing to me how many Christians suffer anxiety. Yeah. 
And then they think it's normal. In fact, it's actually cool now to have a, have a, a psychologist. I know one called the Holy Spirit. He's pretty good at it. You just give him a chance. But I'll tell you one thing. Holy Spirit doesn't show up until there's peace. See, Jesus says, peace be unto you. As my Father sent me, so I send you. Peace not as the world gives. And then he, said, then he, what? Then he breathed on him and gave him what? And so is it interesting that the, that the Holy Spirit didn't come until there was the establishment of rest? When you get into unrest in your mind, in your heart, in your situations, guess who's not accessible to you anymore? He's, he seems like he's gone. He is. See, Jesus says, I'll never leave you, forsake you. But the Holy Spirit, he comes and goes. There's a spirit that's within you that never leaves, which is the spirit of Christ. But then there's a spirit upon you that comes and goes based on how you live. You with me? See, the Holy Spirit's a dove, and he won't sit on your rotting flesh. You choose to rot and sin and self-pity and all that stuff, he'll, bat, he'll flutter away and go land on something else for a while until you drag that carcass back to the cross and repent and get the new man back up and alive inside of you, and then he'll come back and rest on you again. Why? Because he's attracted to peace. The only person that has peace is the new man. If your peace has been um, affected, it's because you've been affected by another kingdom. Did you hear what I said? How many of you guys understand when you get sucked into finances and relationships and difficulties and all that kind of stuff, it affects your peace? Why? Because you're focusing on a kingdom that you weren't born to focus on. And it affects your life, your purpose, your mission. It affects the relationship with the Holy Spirit. It affects your uh, persona and the understanding of the love of God. And then everything all of a sudden becomes out of whack. And you're like, oh, I just need to go to church. It's like, no, you, need, you need to reestablish your rest. You understand? So the perfect sign of an established kingdom of God. The kingdom can be demonstrated and it can be established. There's two different things. We're supposed to do both. What our modern American gospel is okay with was, is with demonstration. We're not okay with establishment. We want to see the kingdom demonstrated. That's what attracts people to churches is the outreach and the revivals and the miracles and the signs and the prophetic wonders and, and the dead raisings. Those are all demonstrations of the kingdom of God. But you don't understand, the demonstrations don't establish. Jesus came and demonstrated many things in the kingdom of God. But those demonstrations did not establish the kingdom. All those demonstrations were, were a war against another kingdom. Sickness was in people's bodies. His kingdom demonstrates healing over the sickness and begins to show the people the nature of the kingdom. But the healing wasn't the, wasn't the, wasn't the uh, establishment. People, people all the time experience the demonstration of the kingdom of God with the presence of the Lord. But God is more concerned about the establishment of the kingdom in your life. So, I say all that to say this. The perfect sign of an established kingdom of God is a community of peace. 
people meeting together, loving one another in unity. Why? Because that's absolutely impossible except by the Lord. Because the selfish man elevates its gifts and callings above everybody else, demanding that the rest of the church bow before how they see the scriptures and how they see the word of God, and it creates unrest. So the perfect sign of an established community isn't the demonstration of the kingdom, it's, it's the establishment. Loving one another. When peace is established, love has its way amongst one another. And in God, it says, God longs to see his children in unity. What father doesn't? So in other words, when you have the kingdom established, it's because peace was laid, and because the peace was laid, God's unity is built in his people, and those people begin to operate under the kingdom of God as they would in heaven. They meet in a specific place, whether it's a home or a building, and they begin to treat one another just like they would treat each other if they were in heaven itself. Why? Because the kingdom has been established. They've brought something from heaven to the earth via peace. You with me? This is why I personally believe if you're not connected to a community, you will never experience the fullness of God. I feel so sorry for church hoppers. These people who are so heady spiritually that I just go where the Holy Spirit tells me to. That's baloney. The Holy Spirit tells people to go to wildernesses. If you, want the, if you go study what happened after Jesus came to the earth, the first fruit of his death, burial, and resurrection was not gospel outreach across the world. It was people meeting in homes, sharing life and fellowship, one with one another, established in peace, loving one another as Jesus commanded them to. That's the first fruit of New Testament revival was community under the headship of Jesus and unity in the body. Why? Because when that happens, then these people begin to heal one another so much so that they're established in peace and they go out and they come back and they go out and they come back and they wreak havoc, havoc on darkness and they come back and they heal one another and they go out and they come back. Because they're sons of God. You with me? The devil wants to steal your peace. How does he do that? Through sin. Through rebellion, through strongholds of improper thought, through conflict. Conflict is just a temptation. You guys know that, right? You're shaking your heads now, but I don't think you realize it when it happens. Conflict is just an invitation from darkness to get your eyes off of the true reality of Christ and onto the problem. That's all conflict is. That's all it is. Conflict is an invitation of darkness for you to step away from your authority to create peace in that realm and step into darkness's realm to deal with the conflict uh, fire with fire. You with me? Jesus never stepped into the temptation of conflict. He always brought rest. Even with the religious spirit. They tried to trap him and he brought something, something so powerful from another realm it shut all their mouths. 
Every conflict he was ever involved with, peace began, came into the situation. Why? Because of, he was a son. If you ever have conflict in your life and the peace of God was not established, it's because you got distracted with something you were never supposed to fight against. You began to fight fire with fire, human with humans. And guys, at the, at the best that can happen with that is grown adults. Uh-uh, uh-huh, uh-uh, uh-huh, because that's all it's going to come down to. You're not going to change people in what they believe. So my job is not to change you, it's to establish rest in the circumstance. And if you don't want to submit to that, that's your right. With me? Let me show you the power of peace. Oh, I'm not going to have time. Um... Yeah, y'all don't have, yeah, y'all say that. I know some of y'all have been with me a long time. You don't care, but I don't want to, I got to, yeah, all right. All right, Matthew chapter 10. I just had to bypass a huge section. Matthew chapter 10, all right, Jesus says this. He's sending his disciples out and he says, whatever town or village you enter and you find who is worthy in that town, stay there until you depart. This is how he teaches us to go and preach the gospel. What is the preaching of the gospel? It's the establishment of rest in a region that doesn't have it because you have the authority to take it from where you exist into where it doesn't. When you preach the gospel to people, that's what you're doing. You come with the understanding and the knowledge, I possess something you do not have. I am not here to lord over you in the fact that you don't have it. I'm here to impregnate your life with it, if you'll allow it. But if you will not, I honor your choice. See? He says, find someone who's worthy and then stay there. Here's the problem. Is we try to give peace to those who aren't worthy. We custom choose who we want to be saved and not based upon how we feel about them, and we don't have the heart of God. You with me? I'm, I'm just going to say it. Some of you want your loved ones saved more than God wants them saved right now. I'm not saying he doesn't want them saved. I'm saying, though, he's not going to save them outside of their will and the choices that they've got to make. And some of them have to have the Amorites' sin filled up in their cup before it's going to be poured out. God's not going to do certain things in certain people until they finally dump the cup over and say, okay, I'm, I'm tired of being full of the world. And when you're wanting them saved more than they want it, you're outside of the will of God. See, here's one thing love does. It lets people go to hell. I don't like it, but God loves people and he lets them go to hell. He doesn't send them there. They send themselves there, and he lets them go. We don't let them go because we think we love them. Our love is not the same as his. Our love is selfish. You with me? All right. So he says, whatever town and village you go Find someone worthy and then give your peace. That's who you're looking for. When you're out on outreach, you're looking for the one who's worthy. You're not looking for a shotgun scattered issue. That's not how it works. 
Revivals work that way, but most people who get saved in revivals fall away from God. I would say, according to my own experience, 80% of people who are touched by God in revivals fall away from him. He says, as you enter that house, greet it. If the house is worthy, so you're finding an individual who's worthy, and then if, then if the house they live in is worthy, what does he say? Let your peace come upon it. This verse messes with my theology because I think it should say, let my peace come upon it. Because it's Jesus talking. You go there and let my peace come on them. That's not what he says. What does he say? Let your peace come upon that house. What if you don't have it? That's most ministries today. We're, we're, we're really good at doing church and creating an atmosphere. But we're not so good at establishing rest and peace in people's hearts. So much so that it holds them in the midst of their own storms. So we create these churches that are self-help programs where people get a shot in the arm once a week and they just stay on this merry-go-round of survival. That is not the intention of God. He says, if that house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not, then let your peace come back to you. This is how valuable peace is to God. In other words, what he's saying, God's saying here is, is that if that house or village or town accepts you, then they accept me. If they reject you, then they reject me. Why is that dangerous? Let's look. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I'm telling you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than it was for that town. Why? Why? Why is it so bad? Because you came and tried to establish the peace of God, the foundation of God in that city. They rejected the foundation, therefore they rejected the rest of the house. But here's what the world wants. They want the house of God without submitting to the foundation of God. They want all the blessings of God without actually surrendering the old man that's causing the chaos so that peace can come. Within the new man is the peace of God. So here's what happens. He sends them out, and spiritually these guys are going to different towns, and they're planting peace. They're sowing peace by people who are receiving the gospel. You have one city that receives the peace, and the foundation is built. Do you understand that the Bible says that whoever builds the house labors in vain unless God builds it? God builds the house. We lay the foundation. Paul says that I laid a foundation of Jesus Christ, who is what? The king of peace to your life. Paul laid the foundation. We, with God, build the house. With me? Ministers can only lay a foundation. It's up to you and Abba to decide how you build on what's on top of that. So these guys, City A receives the gospel. They receive it. The foundation of peace is laid. When that happens, what happens is, is that God looks down from his kingdom and he sees a territory that's been taken over by his sons. A, pl- a, a flag that has been planted saying, the kingdom of heaven has come here. And so when God sees that foundation, he says, the place for my throne is set. I will go to that city and inhabit them and be their God. And when that king sets himself in that city, there can be no judgment that comes against it because the king is present. 
But if the people in city B don't receive that, then he sees his kingdom go out. He sees it return back unto him. And he says, because there's no foundation for me to rest, the only thing that can happen in your life is for you to be judged. You will receive the, the fruit and the reward of the kingdom of the earth. Which if you take it back to Genesis, there's two kings that met with Abraham, Melchizedek, and the king of Sodom. Both wanted access to faith. Melchizedek, the king of peace, and the king of Sodom, who wanted to bring down fire and desolation. This is what Jesus is talking about right here. He says, if you establish that kingdom, Melchizedek will come. The king of peace will come. Who is Melchizedek? It's Jesus. And here he is, has, he has come, and he's telling them, you go do what I've done. You go establish peace in that circumstance. So when you come for a counseling session to whoever you're going to, stop telling them about, about how bad the circumstance is and walk out and begin to take your authority and say, no, I'm establishing peace and rest here because that's going to attract God Almighty, Jesus, King of Kings, the city of peace, Jerusalem will be built in that moment. Which means you oftentimes have to go against everything you feel in that moment. Because what you're going to feel is the antagonism to fight, human to human, fire to fire, earth to earth, and you'll lose. You have all the authority of, of, of God to be able to conquer hell. But if you use hell's tactics, you will lose every time. When it comes down to the Adamic nature, he has you beat. You can't be obstinate enough, stubborn enough, smart enough, logical enough to be able to tell him to leave. If you fight the person or the conflict with the tools of the enemy, you are destined to lose. And then you create more chaos, and God becomes more distant, your love becomes more frail, and then everything begins to fall apart, and then you blame God for it. It's quiet because some of y'all have been there. It's not his fault. You with me? Let your peace remain on this home. If not, take your kingdom with you. That's what he's saying. Take the foundation of my kingdom back and go plant it where somebody does want it. Most of what we call ministry day is trying to give the foundation of the kingdom to people who don't want it in the first place. I'm looking for people who are hungry. The people who want to walk out the door and leave, there's the door. I'm not going to waste my life on you. But if you want it, I'll give you everything in my life I have. You with me? But if I sense obstinance, I'm not planting anything more. I'll move on to the next person. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Are you the one that's hungry? And that's what I call good ministry because eventually you're going to find somebody who's hungry. And when you pour everything into them, you establish the foundation of peace and the kingdom of God in their life. And then God begins to explode and then they begin to go out and then they begin to go out and they find other people who are hungry. And that's how you have an efficient gospel in the kingdom. Not by creating more services, but by finding hungry people and establishing rest in their life. You with me? Luke 19, 41, Jesus drew near to the city of Jerusalem toward the end of his life, and he wept over it. He's coming into the great city. He's looking at all the people. He's looking at Jerusalem. 
He's looking at what? The city of peace. And you know what he's seeing? Chaos. You know why he wept over the city? Because they didn't receive the kingdom he came to give. This story is in direct correlation to what I just read. He says, if they don't receive your peace, take it back. He realized as he was coming into Jerusalem right here that these people did not receive his word or, his, or who he was, which means they did not receive the kingdom. And he knew that he had to take his peace back from them. And he knew that when he took his peace back from them, there would be nothing but war and carnage. Look at what he says. He says, I, he says would that you even had known the day of the things that were made for your peace. Verse 42, Luke 19, 42. But now they're hidden from your eyes. He says, I wanted you to see the things that were made for your peace. But now they're hidden from you. He's weeping. There's tears flowing down the face of God as he's saying this to his own nation. His own people. His own city. You've got to understand, Melchizedek, the Old Testament pre-incarnate Christ, he was the king of Salem, the king of peace. Do you realize that Melchizedek... The Old Testament ruled the same city of Jerusalem that still sits today. Melchizedek ruled Jerusalem. Now Jesus, who was the same Melchizedek, is now looking at his city that he's ruled for eons. And he looks at them and says, you didn't receive my kingdom. The king came and rest was not established because you did not receive me. And he says, because of this... Verse 43, the days will come upon you where your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and harm and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone turned upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is what he exactly told his disciples is if they don't receive the peace and rest, what's going to happen? Destruction and chaos are going to come. Do you realize that God believes That it's your responsibility to establish rest in this city? Well, that's the pastor's job. No, it's my job to equip you because it's your job. Honestly, I got the easy job. You have the hard one. I'm not supposed to establish that. I'm supposed to establish that in you, and you're supposed to go establish that in them. Because I can't go where you go. They won't let me on your job site. I'm not welcome there. But you are. You see this? Your job is not to come to church and be a good Christian. Your job is to establish peace. But if you have none to give because you're so entangled in the uh, affairs of this life and the warfare of the world and the carnality of your own mind and the fact that you're not getting what you want and God's not you know, bending to your every need. And then you blame him for not answering your prayers. You have completely misconstrued why the gospel came in the first place. Right. Do you realize in the New Testament that the, God, the word, the, the word um, gospel of the kingdom is also the, the, the gospel of peace? The two are interchangeable. Sometimes Paul says, I preach to you the gospel of the kingdom. Sometimes he says, I preach to you the gospel of peace. Why? Because of the same thing. Kingdom is peace. Peace is the kingdom. He says, when Jesus comes to bring the good news of the kingdom, it's because, like we read in Luke, the king of peace has come. Matthew chapter 5, 
We referenced it. The sons of God are peacemakers. Right? In 1 Corinthians 3, 9, Paul says, We're laborers together with God, and, if, and you are God's husbandry if you're God's building. According to the grace of God which he's given to me, a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another one builds upon that, but let every man take heed how he builds. No other foundation can be laid, which is that which is laid, which is of Christ. Jesus, it says. And he's the king of peace. What's the foundation of the kingdom? Peace. When you get to heaven, the only thing you're going to feel, the first thing that your feet are going to step onto is peace. Peace makes everything else enjoyable. If you are at unrest and, and sick in your heart and somebody tells a joke, you may smile a little bit, but you're not happy. But if you're at peace and rest and then somebody livens the situation, you're just awesome. Why? Because you're at peace in your heart. And then when you're at peace in your heart, you realize you have one mandate to make peace in someone else's. The peace in your heart is not so that you can be a good Christian and feel good about yourself and sit in your pew and go, man, this is so cool. I'm, I'm right with Jesus. I'm right with God. No, you have a command to take that peace and go out as he did. What if they don't listen? Well, then that's their judgment. Jesus tells you some of them won't listen. So when you find one that doesn't listen, you take your kingdom back and you find somebody else who is. You don't take it as personal rejection. You take it as his rejection. They didn't reject you. They rejected him. Does this just make sense? Jesus tells us to pray, thy kingdom come. What is his kingdom? It's the kingdom of peace. You have to pray that his peace would come. What does it say? The peace that passes understanding. Why? Because peace is not something that's logically understood. It's something that's spiritually planted. We demonstrate it. We establish it. We can't even explain it. Like, why do I feel so good right now? I don't know, but it's awesome. You're right. How many of you guys have ever, I've heard this testimony before. It happened to me. It happens to me actually every now and then. But that God moves on you in a fresh new way or you got saved. And all of a sudden you walk outside and you're like, man, was the sky always that blue? You ever had that happen? Man, were the trees always that green? Because when you don't walk in peace, everything becomes grayscale. There's no purpose for your life. There's no joy in what you're doing. What does it say? Paul says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Why? Because when you're righteous by the blood and you're established in the peace and the rest of God, the only thing you can have left is a bunch of happiness. Christians aren't happy. They're on Prozac. I'm not saying that you're a bad person if you're on that. I'm just saying there is a better way. There's a better way. Okay. Last thing. I had to skip a bunch, but I'm going to close with this. John chapter 20, the same day at evening, verse 19. John 20, 19, being the first day of the week, which is interesting. That's the Sabbath, isn't it? Why does the Sabbath fall on the first day of the week? Because it's supposed to be an understanding to us that rest is supposed to be how we're supposed to live the entire week. We start it in rest, we stay in rest, and we start it over again in rest. With me? 
This is why the, in the New Testament, that's one of the commandments that's not repeated from the Old Testament is about Sabbath. Why? Because in Jesus, every day is rest. Every day is Sabbath. He is the king of peace. It's not a day. It's a person. And he's in us. You with me? So, first day of the week, the doors were shut. The disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst. I referenced this earlier, and he said, peace be unto you, verse 20. And he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and there was his disciples, they were glad, and they saw the Lord. He said, peace be unto you, as my Father sent you, even so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them, gave them the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, whoever sins you remit are remitted unto them, and whoever sins you retain are retained. That's a pretty amazing verse. I read that verse one time, and somebody actually called me a cult because they said I had the power to forgive sins. Which I do. Here's why. I'm not forgiving their sin. He is. I'm the ambassador telling them they're forgiven if they believe. So if they believe, then I look at them and say, you're forgiven. Well, you can't forgive my sins. No, I'm just passing on the message. Because him and I are one. He chose me, therefore, I get to speak for him. And I'm telling you, you're forgiven. And he says, if you retain those sins, then they're retained. Do you know why bitterness and unforgiveness is so powerful? Not only because, it's not just because if you don't forgive others, God can't forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, they can't be forgiven. You see what I'm saying? If you retain somebody's sin through bitterness, then God's going to retain it for them. He honors your choice. Why? Because you're a king and a priest. You understand that Melchizedek was a king and a priest, which was unheard of in the Old Testament? You could either be one or the other. Melchizedek was both. And then in Revelation, what does he call us? What does Jesus call us? Kings and priests. We have the reestablishment of the old order given to us by God to bring rest to chaos. When we find a storm, we don't run and freak out. We run to it and say, this is my moment. I was built for this. I've got peace. Remember that old song? Like a river, I've got, yeah. Okay, some of y'all don't know the song. All right. How's the old Baptist in me? Oh, my goodness, y'all. Y'all are making me. Okay. Last thing. I said that. I lied. Before the Passover was over, Jesus knew that his hour had come. He departed out of this world into the Father. And having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. This is John 13, verse 1. And the supper being ended, the devil had put it in his heart of Judas, the Iscariot, uh, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. And knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and he was come from God and went to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. When he poured water in the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel wherewith he was girded, he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, why are you washing my feet? And Jesus said to him, what I'm doing now, you don't understand, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, then you'll have no part with me. And he says, then wash not on my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, whoever is washed does not need to wash except for his feet. Everywhere else he's clean, but not all of you. For he knew that who should betray him, and he said, you are not all clean. So afterward, he washed their feet, he took his garments, and he was sat down again. He said to him, do you know what I've done to you? 
This is interesting. Verse 13, you call me master and Lord, for so though say I am. If then your Lord and master, have I washed your feet, you should wash others' feet as well. There's so much here I wanted to get into, but I can't. I'm going to focus on one last thing there. Here's why community is important. Jesus says, as I've washed your feet, so you wash others. I'm going to say it this way. You can't wash your own feet in the kingdom. What do feet represent? Why? Because Ephesians 6 says that your feet would be shod with the preparation of the good news of peace. When you walk in the earth, everything that God's doing in your life, the thing that touches the earth, the thing that's engaged with the earth, which is chaotic and broken, should be peace. Peace is the foundation of the soldier of Jesus Christ. It's also the foundation of the kingdom of God. When God calls the feet peace, it means that your your walk, your journey is going to walk through a lot of trash, a lot of dung, a lot of feces of the world. And it's going to pick up things it was never intended to carry. However, we've created a Christianity that makes it okay to carry those things. And we wonder why those things are still attached to our peace. The reason they're still attached to our peace is because you're not allowing the community to wash your feet. And you're trying to do it yourself. The problem is with the kingdom, you can't wash your own peace. It takes another king to wash your feet. It takes another son to make peace in your life. So when you lose your peace, you can't get it back on your own. It took a son to bring it. It took a son to restore it. And it takes a son to keep it. So many people are trying to live their Christian life without a brotherhood and a community around them. Because it t- Jesus says, as I've washed your feet, so you wash each other. He didn't say, as I've washed your feet, wash your own. You ever been in a hard spot in a situation in your life and somebody came and prayed over you and everything just got right, everything just got broke, and you're just like, oh my God, I feel so much better. Why? Because someone washed your feet. A son came and laid hands on you and washed your feet. They took they took the role of a king and girded themselves in the form of a servant and came underneath you and said, it's my job to restore you to your identity. It's my job to restore you to your power. It's my job to restore you to your throne. This is why unity is so important. This is why the devil, if he can steal your peace, he can steal your unity. If he steals your peace, he steals it from an entire city. If he steals your peace, he steals it from an entire community. If he steals your peace, he steals it from an entire relationship or a marriage. If he steals your peace, you have nothing to give. If he takes your peace from you, hundreds, if not millions, are affected. You think, well, I'm not that important. You don't know that. You may not have a ministry that's called to to touch the entire world, but the one you do touch might have that call. Not that one's better than the other. Because they owe everything to you. And everything they have is yours. Remember that when Paul wrote to Philemon? He says, uh, I know this guy owes you. To Onesimus. He wrote, he said, yeah, I know this guy owes you, but you owe me everything. So I'm asking you cancel his debt because of the debt you owe me. You with it? You understand? See the power of peace? It takes one another. If you're separated and disconnected from a body, you have no ability for your peace to be cleansed. 
If you just have an attendance culture of churchism, you're never going to be close enough for somebody to be, to be intimate enough with you to take that, their, their kingly garments off and to robe a towel around them and say, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to love you. I'm here to pray for you. I'm here to be with you. I'm here to walk through this situation with you. I'm here to bring your peace back. That's your call. Does this make sense to you? The enemy wants to steal your peace. That's the job in the end. It was the job in the beginning. If he steals your peace, he steals the entire kingdom you represent. Every time a circumstance happens between you and a, another part of a relationship or a husband or a wife or a spouse or a body member, and it re- ends in conflict and it ends in that distancing where you just kind of avoid each other because both of you think you're right and you're just going to stand your ground, you have built as a Christian, even as a minister or a prophet or a pastor or whatever you may be, you have used your authority to build the kingdom of darkness. Being right is not worth the price. Jesus was right. And he still washed feet. It was his job to clean the dung out of our toenails. And it's your job to clean it out of somebody else's. But that's gross, yeah. Yours was gross too. The junk you carried, the sin, the sickness, the shame, the guilt, the condemnation. That moment when that man or that woman prayed over you, you had no clue what they were doing. Just like Jesus said, you don't know what I'm doing right now. But in a minute, you'll know. You had no clue what they were doing over you when they laid hands on you. They were washing all the guilt and the crap and the shame and the uh, self-justification, the devil and the enemy off your life. So that way you can have a restored relationship with Jesus because he's the king of peace. He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Why? Because he's praying. He he wants other sons who are peacemakers to pray in such a way that peace would be reestablished in the city that he loves. His city. The city he's going to rule from. When's the last time you've prayed for the peace of Jerusalem? Most Christians don't. We have the authority to bring peace to that nation, even if we're not, even if we're not present. Not absence of conflict. That's not what I'm saying. Not peace with the Muslims. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about a peace that's established where the, those, the people of God begin to recognize their king. Because we've recognized him too. And it takes a son to reveal the king. Please stand. If there's somebody in this room this morning that you've lost your peace and you've, you've, you're not at rest with God, we want to help you. We want to pray over you. We want to lay hands on you. We want to speak, speak life over you. But you, you need to be willing. And if you haven't lost your peace, then you need to understand that you don't possess it for you. This thing is not about you. You have people in your life that need you to lay hands on them. They need you to speak a word in season to their life to be able to reestablish the rest of God, to not get sucked into their circumstance. Listen, don't ever counsel the circumstance. 
They'll suck you in and bleed you dry. Don't ever counsel the circumstance. Ever. You bring the king to the table. Don't get sucked into the details. Ladies, I know that's hard sometimes. You think all the details mean something. They mean absolutely nothing. There's only one man that needs to be given. One moment that needs to be established. The good news of the kingdom. If they don't receive it, it's not your fault. You with me? If you need prayer, just come forward. Otherwise, we're going to close. If, there's, if you're stuck, if there's a reestablishment of peace you need in your life because you've been trying to do a lot of things on your own, just come forward. We want to pray for you. If you need Jesus, if you're not saved, if you don't know what peace is and you've never had that experience, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I have no clue what you're saying. I mean, I want peace in my life, but then you need Jesus. Can I get some ladies from the church to come pray over the ladies and the guys to pray over the guys, please? See, the Bible says that we can release our peace. So that's what you do. You lay hands on them and say, I'm, I'm giving you my peace. I'm giving you my peace. You're a worthy house. I'm releasing my peace unto you. Not as the world gives, but as the Father gives. Let him wash your feet. Let him pray off all the junk that you've picked up along the way. It's not, listen, you step in stuff all the time. It's not your fault you step into it. It's your fault if you carry it. So we release you from your sin and your shame. We release you from the bondage and we release you from the, from the personal failures and the false expectations of God that you think that you built in your life. And we release the love of God over you and release the peace of the Lord Jesus over you. He is for you. He's not against you. Father, establish your rest in these people that your kingdom would be built. Let your healing hand just embrace them right now. Wash away all the years of shame and sin and failure. We thank you, oh God, that you don't judge us by ourselves. You judge us by the blood of Jesus. And by that blood, we are innocent. We receive that blood. We receive the message of peace. We receive the gospel of the kingdom right now. We receive the fact that you love us, Father, and you've never forsaken us, and you never will leave us. We receive your word, and we receive your people that you've sent to us, and we ask, Father, that you would build your kingdom in me. We thank you, Father, for peace. We thank you, Father, it's no longer peace on earth, it's peace in earth. Peace inside of us because you're a person, you're a king, and you live inside of us. You chose our hearts to be your home, something we thought was so full of trash and something fit for animals like a manger, but you chose that to be the final resting place of your existence. We are the house of God. 
you've chosen us to inhabit us. thank you, Father, that you established peace in us so that we can establish in others. So let the spirit of boldness and courage rise in your people. And as they go, they would preach the good news of the kingdom of peace. All they have to do is walk up and say, do you you understand what Jesus did? He brought peace to you. You don't have to live like you're living right now. He brought rest to your life. Just receive it. We thank you, Father, full of mercy and grace and truth. We thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, we ask that you come and just fill the houses of of the Lord. Just rest upon and fill your people. Fill them with your presence and bring forth the spirit of unity, them with God and them with others. And be no longer separated horizontally or vertically. The Lord says you're forgiven. We believe in the power of the blood. Thank you, Father. have any unforgiveness in your life right now would be a good way to get rid of it. If somebody's hurt you or offended you in any way, just ask the Lord, say, God, I give them to you and I release them. I don't want to be in bondage anymore to that. I don't want that to rule my life. I forgive them and I ask you to forgive them. doesn't make what they did was right, but I forgive them because what I did wasn't right either, but you forgave me. So as they forgive others, Lord, I thank you that you forgive them, that you release them from that bondage, that moment, from that pain, from that difficulty, from that offense, from that violation, that it has no more power over their life or their mind in Jesus' name.